the Colored by Felix podcast. All right, everyone. Welcome to the Colored by Felix podcast. I have Sebastian and Andrea next to me here and an amazing guest artist. Artist, His name is Nuge. And thank you for being here. And uh, we're excited to get to know you. And yeah, we we'll just talk art. Awesome. Yeah. And, and thanks before for having we get me. started, um, sorry, I didn't know. <laughs> before we get started, I just want you to shout out your uh, Instagram handle or anywhere else that people can find your art so they could follow along. Yeah. Um, my Instagram is Nuge and Wood, and Nuge is spelled N U G E. And uh, the only other social media that I have is TikTok. It's N V G E. That's it. Awesome. Awesome. So I found you at, in uh, on Instagram on Discovery. Uh, you know, like I just saw you. I think an art feature page shared your work, and I was like, "Well, this is very interesting." I've never seen something like that before. So it was uh, the one I saw was uh, obviously they're all kind of similar, but in a different uh, the way you you know create them, like the colors you use and all that stuff. But you use wood, you carve it out, you cut. You, you, the whole process is entertaining how you do it, um, and then you uh, the like just just the design of the of the with the wood blocks, and then you paint on top. It's like you're creating, um, you're making your own canvas from scratch to finish. Like the whole process, which caught my eye, and I just loved the colors you use and the design. That you know is very interesting, and and I just wanted to ask you, uh, like, is that something you've done? Um, like, when did you discover that? Like, when did you start that? Uh, you know, caught that style? Like, how did you learn to do that? So my professional journey began around six years ago. And honestly, I never thought that I would be creating art. I, I was in a creative field, but I didn't think that I would be making something strictly creative um, and be making a living out of it. So my background is actually in architecture and like architecture school was absolutely amazing. It was heavily design based. It was fun. I was designing pig farms in the sky, like anything goes. But then when I was working as an architectural designer at a couple of different firms, one in San Francisco and then the second one in San Diego, like it was like not like school at all like i was sitting at a computer design i mean like putting together construction documents every single day and the most designing that I ever got to do was rearranging condo layouts for different buildings and i think for me this was like the turning point where i, I just needed like a creative outlet so i found a wood shop joined realized that I didn't know how to use any of the machines. So I took a like weekend long course to make cutting boards. And like, that was that, like I made cutting boards and the entire process was like, so extremely gratifying for me because I felt ownership for the first time, like from conception through production to the final products, like it belonged to me, which I didn't feel in architecture. So for like the next year and a half after work every day, I would run to the wood shop, make cutting boards. And, and um, that was, that was that. But then I got laid off from my job in architecture, which was what gave me permission to really chase this dream of making art. So that was about almost six years ago. That's so cool. I mean, I, just had so many questions as you were talking there, because I think that's such a fascinating story. I think like the first thing 
that I think is so cool is that it all starts with a cutting board, you know, because I mean, I've seen your work too. And in, you know, the first impression, especially for somebody like me, I'm not much of a uh, materials oriented person or like, you know, with physical stuff like that. Um, it's my first impression was just like, oh my gosh, this is impossible. How does this person do it? Like this, uh, <laughs> clearly they're born with it, but it's like so cool to hear that you didn't even know how to use a machine. You just started with a cutting board. And I think that's like, for anyone out there that is super inspiring. Cause it's like, Hey, if you, if you're willing to put in the work and you're passionate enough, you can do something amazing. That's never been. Oh yeah. Before. It's been an insane process because like when I first stepped foot into a wood shop, I didn't even know how to use a drill. Cause there's like, there's different numbers on the drill that tell you like the speed and like the, um, the torque it mm -hmm. has. And like, I didn't even know what those numbers meant. Like, that's how little I, like, I was, like, oriented with, like, construction and, like, being around wood. And, like, the environment that I started in was absolutely perfect because it was, um, it was, like, a, it was a shared space. Like, you basically pay a monthly fee and then you have free reign over all of the equipment. But then there's, like, a lot of other members. And since, like, I had no experience with any of the material, like, there, were, there was a bunch of guys who were like just making furniture and whatnot and they were like super knowledgeable and letting me know like okay so this is what this machine does and that's what that machine does and so like that's basically how i got my start like i was just bugging people left and right like asking like stupid questions that's so cool and then what is it about like what is it from either your upbringing or like something you learned along the way that gave you that mentality of like Hey, I'm just going to jump into this, you know, versus saying, cause I think a lot of people might be in a similar circumstance say, you know, encounter all the drills, for example, and say, oh my gosh, this is too complicated. I give up. Like, what was it that made you just keep going and say, Hey, I'm going to learn whatever I need to learn. So I knew that I, I liked working with my hands because of architecture school, like in like, but before, okay. So to pedal back a little bit, before architecture school, I did three semesters of pre-med and that was fucking terrible. Like I, like my dad's a doctor and he was like my entire life. He was like, you should become a doctor. Like you should be a doctor. Like on a typical like Asian um, stereotype, but like, he was like, you should become a doctor. You should give back to society, help people. Like that's why we're here. And, and I was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to be a doctor. And he was, he was like, what doctor are you going to be? I'm like, um, plastic surgeon, just cause like that one's going to make a lot of money. <laughs> so, and it, it, yeah, giving back to society, like you said, what are, uh, what are rich women in LA going to do without? Plastic yeah. <laughs> yeah. I might as well benefit from it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, okay, going to be a plastic surgeon. And then I did three semesters of pre-med and honestly it was like, the worst time of my life like I didn't understand science like it just didn't click with my head at all so I was trying really hard I was still getting like C's and I had to talk with my um advisor at the time and it was almost like a coming out story I'm like you know I don't think I'm meant for science like <laughs> like like tears were cried and it was like it was a weird time but then but like but that with having that under my belt and transitioning into architecture, it made me realize that like, I really loved design and I didn't know that I had this inside me before. So going into architecture, it was extremely fun. And like from the first semester I was doing like 
three all-nighters a week and it was because like I, it wasn't I didn't I didn't have to it was just because like I felt really passionate about design and the art that I was involved in so like I was doing these all-nighters trying to perfect my designs like and like for me there was a competitive aspect to like I wanted my stuff to be like the best in the class and stuff like that so I would spend all this time and and part of the architectural course was making physical models and I would spend more time on physical models than anyone else. Like I would like my record was spending like two and a half weeks on one model. Um, and I was doing all matters the entire time. Like I was taking naps in between classes during the day, but at night I would stay up all night. So, wow. so that's how I knew that I liked working with my hands. So when I was in architecture working for the firms, um, my creative outlet, I was like, what do I do? Like I need, like I need to feel alive again. And so that's, was, that's when I was like, okay, I'm going to join a wood shop. I'm going to make furniture or something like that, but it's going to be with my hands. So you always knew, um, I guess like what I was wondering is how did you know, like woodworking right away? Like, and, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. That's, that was curious to me. So I, I don't know why, but I've in my head when I was like debating about like what I could do just to like, like feel the creative juice again, um, I was like, okay, I'm either going to paint or I'm going to join a wood shop and make like high-end furniture. I don't know why it was those two options, but like painting always had its allure to me. Like it seemed like it was very calming. You could just sit in your room and paint and just like block the world out. Or I could join a wood shop and make things with my hands. And I decided to join the wood shop because of architecture school, because like all the time that I spent making those like little models, I just knew that like work with my hands is something that I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And um, how did you discover that, like the, that technique, that style where you cut up pieces and put them together? Was this some, somewhere where you saw maybe from an artist or something similar that you were inspired by, or that completely just came to you over practice and, you know, accidentally, like, was it, you know, how did that happen? So, my the very first carvings that I made they're fabric inspired and I was I was definitely inspired by like the artists that I saw on like Instagram and like in like various like social media outlets but like so when I first I like but I transitioned from like cutting boards to coffee tables to countertops to clocks and then finally I got to to art pieces and when I wanted to make my first art piece, I was actually really stuck. I was like, I think, like, I think one of the hardest things is like not knowing what to make before you start a process. So I was like stuck in my head. I was like, okay, like I want to make an art piece, but what do I make? So I was like, okay, like most, most sculptors, they make people like, but then I had so many questions. I was like, should I make a man or a woman? And what are they doing? Like, what are their expressions? Are they young or old? Like, how should it feel? And then, like, I got, I had so many questions that I was like, okay, I'm going to boil it down. Like, what essence do I want to, like, like, provoke, invoke with this? And so I was like, okay, like, I want it to feel calming. I want it, 
to feel like you're at home when you're with this piece. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to make a piece inspired by fabric, like bed sheets, like you're in bed and these sheets are just surrounding you. So, so my, my carving, I referenced an actual sheet and I wanted to capture that calm feeling and put it on a wall. And I had no idea that this was going to like inspire like an entire evolution of pieces following that, but I made that. And then for me, like every single piece has like a different feel. Cause I put my soul into every single piece and like, for me, every piece feels different, but I think to the outside perspective, like someone could be like, oh, like every single piece kind of looks the same. They're all like sheets, but in different ways. So like I like being on social media and everything, I did get in my head because because of some comments people left. And I actually took like some negative comments and like spun it in the right way because like people would say like, oh, it's like it's the same show. Like what's the point but then I kind of took that to heart I was like okay they're kind of right like to me it's all different but to them it all kind of looks like the same thing like over and over so I took the bedsheet foundation that I created and I decided to like deconstruct it further so how I got to like the multi-component pieces is from taking like you can actually see this a little bit it's a little too dark but like oh, this yeah. piece behind me like like I took like the peaks and the valleys of the fabric carvings that I made and I deconstructed it into like I cut it into little pieces where the word their individual components put together and then from that that's how I started making my um, sculptures with like the all the small pieces and stuff that's beautiful. Wow. That's really cool uh, to hear that. Um, mm-hmm. I'm always interested in how yeah, an artist finds their way, you know, or inspiration, their path, because there's always a, a, a path, you know, always a discovery. And it's usually you, you're inspired by simple things in a way. It usually starts with a simple thing and then you grow from that. Um, but um, so you said you were into you. So you're working with wood now um, and you said you've been messing around with paint. Right. And and uh, whenever how like you were always painting or so how did you get those two styles together? How did you get an idea like, oh, I'm going to now add some paint to it? Um, I've I always wanted to add paint to my pieces. And that's actually like a I feel like it's a hot debate just like going off of what people say when I share my projects online and stuff. But like, it really seems like a lot of people hate that I put paints on my pieces, but then there's the other group where the, like the other people, they absolutely think that like the paint brings my, my works to life. And mm-hmm. I agree. And was the first group, like <laughs> carpentry purists who like, think that good carpentry has to just sit on its own? Like, what's the mentality there? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I do think that the people who think that paint does not go with wood, they're, like, absolute purists. Like, they're, like, wood is beautiful. It's on its own. And I do agree that, they're like, wood is beautiful on its own. But I also think that, like, adding paint to the mix just, like, brings it to, like, a whole other level. And I don't think that it's, like, it should be applied to every single application. But 
for the uses that I've had had it with, I think it's absolutely amazing. But I'm also really careful that when I use paint, that you can still tell that the pieces that I use it on, that it still would. That if you're standing across from the like from the piece in a room, that like you can still tell that, oh, like there's like the grain texture. So that's why I use ashwood because it has like a really porous grain where like if I dye it black or if I put paint on it, then you can still tell that it's wood. Mm -hmm. I mean, while like if if you couldn't tell that it's wood, then I might as well use plastic or some other material. Mm -hmm. And and then the paint you use, is it is it spray paint or? or so kind of the, the paints that I use are urethane paint it's um it's an automotive paint oh. but um but before i got to paint i was messing around with like the the chameleon pearls which people also use for automotives and stuff yeah i was actually gonna say like that that was the first thing that really struck me about your work was the sheen mm -hmm. that it has to it it's got this really unique finish and like i don't know if there's anyone out there doing something like you're like you're doing but because i'm not yeah, I haven't really checked out specifically wood-based work, but like I've honestly never seen anything like those textures that you're able to create. And it's something to me that's like, it's super surreal. I feel like sometimes art can take us to this really like, like elevated magical place where you're like, whoa, that is like something right out of fantasy, you know? And so like, for me, I love those moments. And I feel like even with the bed sheet, what you were saying, it's like that totally like inspired me because I was thinking about, just the way that, you know, a bed sheet is almost this random pattern, right? If you were to just throw down a bed sheet, but then it's like, you're taking that randomness and you're like examining it by like cutting out these pieces. And like, I don't know, it's, it's really cool. It's almost like this sounds so nerdy, but it's almost like you're like acknowledging the weird, like mathematics of the universe and physics and everything mm -hmm. through your work, you know? And also going off of the bed sheets, I do think that like what's interesting, interesting about the bed sheets is that it is random and it is fabric and it can be beautiful on its own but at the same time it has like a history to it because like if you like if you go to anyone's bed and look at their sheets it almost like tells a story like like is it calm or was there like some like aggressive history that happened there or something like <laughs> yeah <that>. so <laughs> <laughs> or did they not wash them for <laughs> yeah yeah it kind, of, it kind of tells you like like a little history about the person that used it you know so yeah, right. That's like cool. i think i think there's like an, an infinity of stories that can be told like told with bed sheets but um at the same time like i said like it can be boring and like very repetitive if i do only bed sheets and that's like, that's the reason why I kind of evolved because, you know, like to the outside perspective, it, it could look very mundane if that's all I did. Now, so when you were like, you know, finding out your style and kind of getting like inspired and creating and getting your a little bit closer to more of what you're doing now, uh, did you have social media platforms then or, or somebody recommended or um, and how did that like like were you already posting you know or 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 you did it like recently you know opened a page or because i know i i like 
I follow a lot of art sh- featuring pages and I see a lot of work and, but yours recently started coming up and, and I'm like, wow, why? Like I never, you know, seen anything like this. And, and I've seen woodwork, you know, I have some friends that actually would uh, also took classes and they always say this, they, they start uh, working on furniture, you know, couches, tables, and things like that. But um, so I've seen some cool work with wood, but I wanted to know, like, how did you get into, um, you know, when did you start your social media? So with the social media, it's kind of funny. Like I never, it, it like this all started with like as a hobby with cutting boards. And I actually never thought that I would be making money from this, let alone like make an entire like career path from this. So when I first started, when I was making my cutting boards, I was sharing it on Facebook. And then I was asking my friends, like, you know, like, do you think it's even worth sharing on Instagram? Because for me, like social media, I feel like takes a lot of effort just to just to keep updating people and then like to document your the process. And like it just took a lot of bandwidth out of me because like the the joy that I have from creating is just like get in the studio, make shit, and and that's that. But like to document the process and then to present it nicely on social media, like took effort. So at the time, all I was doing was putting on Facebook and Facebook was not even like a business page or anything. It was just for my friends. So I was asking my friends, like, do you think I should share this on Instagram? And they're like, yeah, shared on Instagram. I was like, yeah, but then if I share on Instagram, should I continue sharing on Facebook? And they're like, like, they're like, the more people that you can share your work with, the better, like you can start making money from this. And I took that to heart. So I started sharing on Instagram and that's where like new faces outside of my friends groups started seeing my work. And I was like, this is amazing. It's kind of like having a mini art gallery in your in your pocket that you can curate and like, you can, like you can kind of stay on people's radar like all the time. So I think like right from the, right after my cutting board journey started, I started sharing myself on Instagram and that's when it started snowballing and I just stopped staring, sharing my work on Facebook because um, my friends on Facebook aren't going to buy my art pieces. So <laughs> yeah. I, I feel you. <laughs> um, yes. Go ahead. Okay. So, so like when <laughs> most of the people who, um, well, first of all, is this your full-time career now? Yeah. Yeah. This is my full-time career. I, I, um, I just added my second assistant like four weeks ago. Oh, nice. Yeah. So that's something that I always ask just for our audience, because a good chunk of our audience is people who, you know, see themselves maybe having an art career one day. And so like, when did you know that it was time to transition? Like, how did you kind of make that move? Um, so like I, like I mentioned, like when I got laid off my job in architecture, that was like the turning point for like my entire life. Okay. Um, so that was, so that was it. Cause that's, I, sorry, I didn't understand the first time you said it. So it was when you got laid off, you didn't go get another job. You're like, okay, I'm all in right now. Um, basically, but I mean, there's a little bit more to it. Cause when I get, when I first got laid off, I was like, fuck, like, 
I just invested all of this time, money, energy into architecture school because I also have my master's in architecture. So like a total of like six, six and a half years. And I was like, I can't just drop all of that and just start making art because like, like I paid good money for this stuff. So um, when I got laid off, like I had a conversation with my mom and I was like, um, yeah, I just got laid off. She's just like, oh, no. But um, I was like, yeah, I'm just going to take a little time off. Just like just recalibrate, like stop to smell the flowers and, you know, just just like get my energy back and then I'll go back to architecture. Don't worry. So I was going to get six months of unemployment. So that was going to be like kind of my leg up to kind of like, like not be too desperate. And for me, I was like, okay, I just told my mom six months, I'll go back into architecture. So for me, that was like, okay, I have six months to prove that I can make enough money that I can survive without money from having like, like quote unquote, a regular job. So six months came and went, and I wouldn't say that I was making like amazing money or anything, but I was making enough money to survive and the money that I had from unemployment. And like, that was enough for me to keep going with this journey. And at that point, like, I really had no plan B, like, like all of my eggs were in one basket. Like I wanted to make this art career happen just because I had experienced how it felt working for another person and how gratifying it felt working for myself, creating my own, my own stuff that I was like, okay, this is it. There's no turning back. And um, yeah, that was it. So do you have like a time reference, like whether it's your age or like the year when that was? Um, I'm 34 now. So just under six years ago, I got laid off. So whatever, whatever that math turns out. Okay. 28. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. So yeah, like Felix was 27 when he started his art career. So if you guys are young, get started now. (laughs) It doesn't matter your age. (laughs) And I think uh like I think that's the tough part too, is just like kind of getting caught up with like the age thing and like like seeing like you're always comparing yourself to another person, like, oh my god, like that person got into their first gallery at 22 or whatever. And Mm -hmm. like, I think that mentality is extremely defeating because like, no matter what you accomplish, there's always going to be another person that accomplished that at a younger age or something like that. So I think that like, whatever age you accomplish anything at, that's amazing because you accomplished it, you did it. Mm -hmm. And one of like the bigger things for me is getting started at all because I never would have gotten to this point if I didn't make cutting boards but like if but like I never had this journey in my head so if right from the get-go if I had it in my head like oh I want to be a professional artist and make this for a living I never would have made cutting boards Hmm. and if I never made cutting boards then I never would have gotten to where I am so it's extremely important that you just like enjoy the journey you get busy and make something and while you're making that like whatever you're making you're going to come up with an idea for a better piece in the process so that's Mm -hmm. like that's like my one thing yeah that's so true that's really good advice so when you started um when you started 
selling? Did you start selling more through, I don't know if you're in a gallery or through mainly social media? Um, I was selling strictly through social media. Um, my friends stopped purchasing for me after I stopped making cutting boards because that was like, like cutting boards is an okay price range if you're a friend and want to like right. support. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like anything above the price of a cutting board, it's like, oh, that's too much. <laughs> <laughs> so, so after cutting boards, like I was relying like solely on social media. And it was, it was actually in 2020 that I got into my first gallery and like, it was, I think it was a culmination of like different, different factors that helped me out. Like one, like my work got to a better place aesthetically, um, like it evolved a lot. And then two COVID happened. And I think like with COVID, a lot of people like had time to kill, they were doing home projects they wanted to maybe put like nice artwork in their home so like I got business I think I think I got business from that and then also on top of that I got into my first gallery locally in San Diego and then it was crazy like from that one gallery I don't know if it had anything to do with that but it spiraled and I got three more galleries out of that so wow yeah I'm working with gallery here in san diego miami whistler british columbia and singapore and how's your experience with working with galleries they've been great they add a lot of credibility to my work and just like it's very validating because for me like i 100 have like the imposter syndrome just because i have no formal training in this industry so i always felt like i'm just making shit up and, and I'm like, wow, I'm just like making this up. Like I just made this up and people are buying it. <laughs> so I felt like it, it, like in a way I felt like I was just a fraud because I'm just some random guy that makes things and people buy it because I made them think they, that it looks good or something. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, it's like uh, funny like, when you say it out loud. <laughs> It is. It's actually terrible. Maybe I shouldn't have said it. But, uh, <laughs> no, but then like the galleries supporting my work, it kind of made me feel like, oh, like these like these people are professionals and they they deal with artwork for a living. And if they're saying it good, they're saying it's good, then like maybe it is legitimate. Like like maybe it's not so bad after all. So like having the galleries helps me out a lot. They've had a lot of credibility to my name and um i mean it's it's also tough like i think galleries get a lot of flack just because they're the gatekeepers of the art world um and they can they can make or break artists sometimes but i don't know my experience with them has been been really good so are you still getting sales directly through like social media? Like, how would you say the balance is with the galleries and like sales that you do deal with directly? I would say that at the moment, 60% of my sales are directly like through my studio, like probably through social media funneling it in. And then the 40% is through galleries, just promoting my name to like their list of clientele. Um, But I also want to say 
some of like some of the people that like come across my social media and then they're not able to find like a way to buy it because like if you go to my website it doesn't say like oh like purchase this piece here just because like that's just not how it's done um it's just better if people like send an email or something and facilitate it that way but since if you go to my website it doesn't say buy here so a lot of people sometimes they see these the galleries that i'm associated with they'll go to the gallery instead and then like start a commission that way which is also great because a commission happens but at the same time when you go to a gallery they take 50 percent mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> so um it's a it's a double-edged sword but at the same time like the galleries have like shown so much support that when it does happen like i think to myself like you know what like these galleries have supported me. So like throwing them um, like 50% of a commission, that's fine. Yeah. yeah now I want to address a point um, before we move past it. Uh, you were talking about imposter syndrome. And I think that this is like a really valuable thing to maybe expand on for like the people listening. Like if I may be so bold, I want to offer my thoughts on it because I think that like, so it reminded me of like, there's like my favorite comedian is Bobby Lee. Have you heard of him mm-hmm. from like, you know, mad TV and from a few movies and stuff over the years, but he's mainly like a stand-up comic. Right. And he's an amazing talent. And um, his work in Hollywood doesn't reflect that. Like he's barely gotten any roles, you know, but he's this like everyone in the comedy community, like respects him as one of like the kind of elder statesmen of comedy that who's currently working, you know, he's like 50 or something. Um, but anyway, I listen to his podcast and it's hilarious. And I listen to it once a week. And it's so funny because every once in a while, like you'll hear him because he came up in the days when, you know, it was just gatekeepers, right? Like in Hollywood. And um, that's all you had. You didn't have social media and stuff, but using social media, you know, him and his girlfriend and their crew have built their podcast into one of the top podcasts in the world, right? The guy's probably making money hand over foot every month, tons of listeners, you know, fans, always shouting his name on the street, blah, blah, every potential mark of success. And yet uh, up until recently, when he started getting bigger roles in movies, you'd hear him on the podcast kind of complaining about how, you know, the industry never cared and all that stuff. Right. And a lot of that was due to like, you know, racial prejudice and stuff um, back in the, you know, the nineties and the early two thousands, but it's like, to see somebody who's so clearly for me, at least from the outside to see somebody who had built this giant thing, that's clearly a success that clearly everybody loves still doubting himself and still having this imposter syndrome. It really hammered home for me because it made me realize that as artists, we all have that. Like, I think we really do except the people who are just like, so confident. I'm sure there's a few of those out there who are just, you know, born confident, but like for the rest (laughs) of us, I think there's always that imposter syndrome of like, until, the people at the very top validate me, you know, I'm not going to really truly believe it, you know, but like, and I'm not saying I don't want me to speak for you or anything, but I just, I'm speaking to like any artists out there listening is like, I looked at Nuja's work and it's so very obvious to me that this is a talented artist who's working at the top of his field. Right. But to hear you saying, oh yeah, I still have these doubts, you know, and then all of that, like, it's just, again, kind of hammers it home for me. Oh, even all these artists that I 
you know, look at their work and I'm amazed by like, they can still experience that. So it's like, I think for any of you out there who are maybe not as far along on your journey and you're having those same thoughts, like, is this really who I am? Is this what I'm meant to do? Does anyone care? Blah, blah, blah. Just know that people way further along than you on this path are experiencing those same emotions, you know? Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's, that well, was, I, think I just the, I think, a little rant. <laughs> well, I think that, like, I think like feeling like an imposter is almost like normal in a way when you're kind of like making your own path in any career fields, because like, say like, if I was to stick with architecture, like I, you go into an architecture office, you put in X amount of hours and you like, you, you finally have enough hours accrued so you can take the architectural registration exams. And it's like, you follow a hierarchy and like, it almost goes for like any career field. Like if you're a doctor, you, you graduate medical school, you like you do your residency or you become a lawyer and you take your, um, your bar exam. So there's like a hierarchy, there's a path, but when you create your own path, and it starts working and people are giving you money for something that you kind of made the path up it's almost like like is this real like why like people people are believing me for something that i just like that i just kind of made up so like without a system already in place telling you how this is supposed to operate right. it feels very weird that it actually worked you know yeah yeah totally and um what i also noticed is that a lot of the artists they they um you know we're all like we're all creating something in our own you know but i like in our own way but i noticed that we we focused on a specific thing and we go into a little bit more detail than you know like a, a person that is not creating you know we're not so like we go into it a little more and i feel like that's maybe part of why we think we're not maybe worthy or like oh because we overthink maybe like oh this is you know like uh, like because we go deeper into our thought you know and maybe deeper into thinking that uh, this isn't uh, maybe good as as good you know and so that also it's not a bad thing because it makes us uh, challenges to step out and actually make something even better you know and 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 grow as a creator Mm -hmm. right yeah so maybe yeah like Maybe you don't want to be the opposite either, which is like so certain of yourself that you are ignoring your ability to improve or whatever. Mm -hmm. No, I I definitely think that like, like being self-aware and like being nervous in your field keeps you on your toes, like, Mm -hmm. like, and taking criticism to heart from like, I mean, it's case by case, but I do think that like the criticism that I received, it's like, it pushed me to further myself better. And like that also pushed me to adopt a mindset that like, like every last piece that you make is your best piece. So for me, like my, that being my general rule of thumb, it's always pushed me to like evolve and be out of my comfort zone with every piece that I make. And what kind of keeps you from taking it personally? If you like, cause I think that is a pretty, you know, advanced mindset to have when you can, look at a criticism and say, huh, that's valid without taking it personally. Like, how did you kind of get to that place where you're able to separate people who are just being haters versus maybe a valid criticism that can help you? Mm -hmm. Um, I do think that 
sometimes like i mean a lot of the times because like it's so easy to be anonymous online and just like say whatever you want but i do think that people who say things in passing and them being haters it's also a valid form of criticism like Mm. sometimes like your your first instinct when you see something is is what people say online and i think like your first instinct of anything or a piece of art is absolutely how people feel about your work so i think that when i see like haters saying anything like i actually take it take it to heart like i go through like different forms of like this this process though like at first i'm like wow what an asshole like this guy sucks and then like maybe like a few days later i'm like you know what they're kind of right like <laughs> my work is becoming kind of redundant and then like from that like i let it like seep into my mind and then like a few months later i'm making a piece that evolves from from like the past like stage just just because like someone said something and i mean like i'm not gonna make i'm not gonna react to like every single comment but like some some comments from certain haters they they i don't know resonate a little more and (laughs) and it's probably because because it came from a place where maybe i knew it myself but i didn't want to deal with it yet so Mm -hmm. hearing someone else say it kind of makes it become real Mm-hmm. but i notice it seems like you're taking it more in a positive way you know like yeah. you're, you're taking it more and you're not instead of you know quitting or giving up you you're taking it and you're 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 you know turning it around and making it into a positive way how you can improve that so yeah um, it's i mean it's kind of like a it's like a super philosoph- philosophical way to say it but like like life is basically like how react how you react to things because like like so many things are going to happen to you good and bad like you can't avoid it but however how you react to things and evolve from the things that happen to you or the criticism that you receive like it changes everything so like Mm -hmm. i guess i i choose to take good and bad criticism and i try to better myself from it because also from like an artist standpoint i think that like I totally agree with some, what some of my haters have said is that like, like, you know, your stuff looks redundant. And I think making the same thing over and over in different ways is also the death of an artist because it stops becoming exciting, but it's also like a really hard cycle to get out of because when an artist, for me, I feel like when you find your bread and butter and you're making money from it, Mm-hmm. it's easy to fall into that cycle of like oh like this works i need to make more of this but mm-hmm. then like once you make more of that it's like it's not it doesn't feel exclusive it doesn't feel like it's exploring anything anymore so it's a it's a like easy trap to fall into yeah yes. i feel like it's all about balance like that's something that um we've even noticed with like felix because like he like we've talked about before like he um started doing landscapes but he did them so much that then it started to feel redundant like you said and then it's like you have to find this balance because then it's like people want to box you into something but then you also want to be exploring as a creative so it's it's all about that balance, I guess, right? Definitely. Yeah, like, I think it's, I think, like, as an artist, you have, like, the license to be selfish. Like, 
if you want to explore, you should explore. Like you should, you should do something that still excites you. And I think that when you make something that excites yourself, like that energy can be felt in your work and other people will want it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and it's just like, it's this, I feel like, um, like, well, I'm, you know, like happy to hear that because exactly what you said, like I, I was trapped in this system where it's like the same thing. And it was working. I knew it was working, you know? And, um, and, but I was, I was like already getting drained and I feel like I w- I'm not, I wasn't challenging myself and not stepping out, you know? And so it was really hard to get out of that really hard. Like I, and I'm still like working to push myself to slowly get out of that, you know? And, um, cause I, I want to grow. I'm such a, yeah, I'm still young, you know, growing, learning. I don't even know what style, what, what's going to happen, you know, like uh, in the future, but I'm excited to, uh, that's the point is it's exciting to know, not know what's going to happen in the future or where your art is going to lead. Cause if I know I'm going to create a landscape painting in 10 years, I feel like right now I'd be like, okay, I'm done. Let, I, it's boring. You know, <laughs> I'd be boring. Um, yeah. So I wanted to ask you, actually. Uh, so watching your videos, like they're they're very entertaining. And I wanted to do, ask you, do you record your everything yourself or you have a, people helping you or how do you do that? Um, so everything is edited by myself. Um, but I have my assistant who be like wherever we're in the studio like we have like our headgear on and our earmuffs for ear protection and um like so it's like we've gotten to a point where my assistant is so used to ask me for to take videos that like I don't take the head- headgear off I just do this motion of my hands like like take a picture take a picture <laughs> and like he, he just comes over to whips his phone out and just like takes a video and I'm like I give the thumbs up and that's good like it's a, it's like, it's not a very planned out process, but at the same time, like I keep track of like how my videos are taken in a chronological order so that I can later edit them to make a storyline. Um, mm-hmm. But like, I feel like with social media, like you can't have stuff that's like overly edited because like, if you have like, like a slow intro or something that with, with your logo coming in like like drifting into the frame or something like that then <laughs> like like you've already lost your audience because it's like social media is like it happens so fast and yeah like everyone has add so like if <laughs> if the first two seconds are not entertaining then like you're already done mm-hmm. yeah so we're actually um about out of time here but i wanted to just close it out with our typical segment which is just ask an artist and we just uh, ask for questions from Felix's audience and just have Felix and the guest uh, give their best answer. And so this one is from Sangeetha and she asks, um, how do you like, what's your planning process when you're going into a, a new work? Um, so I'll, I mean, I have like different types of pieces, but mm-hmm. I'll talk about the, the foundation of my work, the fabric pieces. So for my fabric inspired pieces, I actually push around a piece of actual fabric on a board. And when I get like the form that I like, I'll tack it in place and glue it in place. And like, I think very much to how some of the painters operate is that like they reference photographs for their paintings, right? So for me, I reference a piece of fabric that's been glued to a board and like, like I go back and forth, but obviously it's not going to be 
100% a copy of that fabric. It's just to get like an overall flow for the piece. And um, for me that like, like I, I make a lot of tweaks along the process, but like that keeps a track of like the overall flow for me. Okay. So you don't like sketch, right? Like, or. Um, some, for some pieces I do sketch. It's just, uh, that's just one of the processes. So like, yeah, like some of the processes where it's like multi-component, I do sketch and, and sometimes I, I'm not able to achieve like the overall flow that I want with an actual piece of fabric. I'll just draw it on paper and then like to transfer that from paper to like a blank canvas, like panel of wood, like I'll draw, I'll sketch like a grid onto the piece of paper and then I'll bring the grid over to the panel. And that's how I figure out like where the peaks and the valleys go. Mm -hmm. That's, that's cool. That's in a way like that's similar, like, uh, but, uh, what I do is I take a bunch of like, just to have a reference. Um, I remember when I first started painting, you know, like getting into painting, I thought I needed to copy exactly the same color. I used to actually, when I have an image, you know, print an image, I would mix my color and like uh, touch with my brush on the, the, the sky or the, whatever the color that was. And I tried to copy it exactly that the, the color, you know, and that was so exhausting. I almost gave up on painting. I thought that that was too much work, you know? And so I, I was like, no, there's gotta be an easier way. So then I just, eventually I, I just kind of started, um, as long as I can get the blues, you know, shades of blues, it doesn't have to look exactly like the image. And then I started letting go of those, rules or whatever that was in my head and then like it freeing you know kind of letting it naturally come to life and that was a lot more fun so i kept doing it so now what i do is take a bunch of if i'm going off of a reference i'll take a bunch of uh images that i'm inspired by if there's like a certain thing i notice i'm like oh i'm gonna take that and place it into this image and take this image and place it here and I just do like multiple images sometimes and combine everything together and then also like you I don't I don't really copy exactly like it. I just kind of take an idea and kind of go and change it up, still play with it. And I think that makes it a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, I also think that that's what makes it like yours, right? Like the edits that you decided to, to keep in or omit, that's what makes the piece yours. And like, it's almost like what you see of the world and this is the world that you created. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like if everyone was just doing photorealism, it'd be a pretty boring place. I mean, even photographers have to choose what to include in the frame or what angle to shoot it from, you know, and mm -hmm. how to light yeah, it absolutely. and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's like yeah, people want a point of view. They don't want to just see the world as it is. Yeah, exactly. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, and once you once you once you let go, start letting go of those rules and and that you know in your head that comes and tries to box you in it actually becomes a lot more fun right to create and you feel um you feel free and you want to explore and it just gives you um motivation actually in a way it uh, um, pushes you to to come back to the canvas and create you know sometimes people are like oh, i can't find inspiration well maybe because there's too much you know rules in the head and you're mm. you're you're seeing too much you know planning too much and and it's blocking you know that creativity that wants to come out of you you know mm -hmm. um, yeah absolutely i wanted to ask you also um so like 
just like as a final question, um, do you want, is there anything you wanted to say to the listeners, any, any kind of encouragement or tips, anything that, um, that you learned along the way in your art journey? Um, so I think I already mentioned it, but like, I think that, I think the biggest struggle for anyone who wants to do anything creative is not knowing what to make. Like, like, and it's happened to myself as well. It's like, I got stuck in that process where I was like, okay, I want to make something, but I don't know what to make. So like, that's when I was like stuck in my head thinking like, okay, man or woman, old or young, what are their expressions, blah, blah, blah. And I think like the same can be said for like painters. Sometimes like you want to paint, but like, you don't know what to paint. And I think that like, like the first step is the hardest part to like, to put the brush down on a canvas is the hardest part. So like, like just choose something, just anything, just get your hands busy, make something. And like during the process, like you're going to come up with better ideas, but the most important part is to get your feet wet. And from there, like something, something better will come from it. Mm -hmm. That's good. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today for the Color by Felix podcast. We were honored to talk with you. Mm -hmm. And if you don't mind shouting out your socials one yeah. more time so people can find you. Uh, yeah, Instagram, it's Nuge and Wood. Nuge is spelled N-U-G-E. And TikTok is N-V-G-E. Awesome. Thank you, Nuj. It was awesome to get to meet you finally. I was I was actually really excited because your work is is beautiful and it was and it's something different. Like we we usually we had like artists come on that do painting and stuff, but yours is like the woodwork. I was excited mm -hmm. to to talk to you about the process. Mm -hmm. Very interesting, you know. So thank you for being here. Maybe in the future, you know, if you're willing, and then we, we we can have you back and see where you are at, you know, and catch up. Yeah, that would be really cool to have an update and see where the journey is taking me, right? Yeah. Sweet. yeah. Awesome. Thank yeah. you, man. Thank All you right, so guys. much. It's an honor. Thank you Thank so you much. Today, See you Appreciate guys next it. week on the Color by Felix podcast. Take care, everyone. <laughs>